Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, after a gap of more than a dozen years, the writer Brett Easton Ellis has released a new novel. And this one, which is receiving generally positive reviews, tells a rather personal story. It's about Brett Easton Ellis and how he came eventually to write his first novel, Less Than Zero. But it's still a novel, so it's never entirely clear what is factually correct and what isn't. It's called The Shards. Brett, good afternoon. Uh, Good afternoon. I suppose you've been besieged with questions from people trying to divine what's absolutely accurate in the shards about your own life and and, and the bits you've made up. So I I apologise for this first question, but uh, uh, Ario Speedwagon, did you have a secret love of them when you were a teenager? (laughs) Uh, I did not have a secret love affair with Ario Speedwagon. I happened to like one of their songs. And I was perhaps a bit too cool to admit this to my other classmates. And so I do refer to this song that I liked at 17 in The Shards. It is one of, my, it's one of the things I'm, uh, I'm, I, I feel brave enough to admit in this book. A time for yeah, me to was fly was the name of the song. <laughs> yes, it was a very it was a shock revelation. Uh, it must be said. No, but but of course, music has always had a very important part in uh, a lot of your work. When you were that age, was was the music an identifier of who you were? Was it a form of rebellion? Because it's interesting in that many of the songs that you name check may have meant different things to kids that age, depending on where they were in the world. Well, look, I think when you're that age and uh, the age of the kids in the shards uh, is about 17, 18, their final year of, uh, of high school in the U- United States, um, music is incredibly important. It's the wallpaper and the soundtrack to your life. Uh, I was never not listening to music, it seemed, except when I was in class in school. Uh, driving around L.A., you're constantly listening to music. In my bedroom, I was constantly listening to music. I was buying records left and right. Music consumed me, uh, and it influenced me as well. I called my first novel Less Than Zero, which is an Elvis Costello song. Um, So music Mm. was everything to me. And I am writing about a boy who's 17, and I'm writing about myself. A lot of it is about things that happened to me, but it is a novel. And uh, I don't know if it even really matters what uh, is truth and what is fiction, but the emotional truth is authentic. Emotionally, who I was and all the terrible things that I admit about myself, uh, ultimately, for example, like like liking that REO Speedwagon song, you know, um, it is, is authentic, is real. Mm. No, it, it, it's more like, and I suppose maybe less than zero is uh, that song is an example of that uh, as well. And you also reference uh, Ghost Down by the Specials, which is on this side of the Atlantic about unemployment and Margaret Thatcher's Britain. And it has a very political edge. But in the circumstances you grew up, which were, you know, quite, uh, quite nice. Thank you very much. I suppose, did it mean something different? It had a cool aesthetic to us here in the States, uh, the specials did. And so, um, and I use that song ironically because of course it is about exactly what you said, but the meaning of the song within the environment 
that we grew up in, it didn't have the same meaning. It had a cool sound. We were just now in LA, um, you know, um, beginning to get into ska and, um, you know, uh, the kind of uh, mashup that the specials were, uh, you know, uh, were so evocative of. Uh, and we liked the style of it. So that there is there is an irony to that that at the dawn of Reagan's eighties here in the United States, the specials had become popular. But of course, they were mostly popular because um, their lead singer had co-written "Our Lips Are Sealed," one of the great Gogo songs. Mm. There's also a feeling in the book that it's like an end of an era or the beginning of a significant change. And, and I, a lot of people have noticed that you use the word empire a lot. In a sense, was it the empire was changing or crumbling a bit? Well, you know, uh, I took my cues about empire from the American author Bor Vidal. And basically, uh, his theory was that America, after World War II, had entered into its empire, its grand empire phase, where it was the most powerful country in the world. And his theory was that, well, that always ends at a certain point. And when is the empire of the United States going to begin to slip and slide away from its apex? Um, and I do think in many ways, growing up, in the 1970s and in the 1980s in America's empire was uh, to be privileged in a very, very unique way that is now over, I believe. And there are, and, and I think what my books have always, um, um, I don't know, what I've always been drawn toward is, are the flaws in the empire, the cracks in the empire, the hypocrisies in the empire, what the empire actually allows people to do. I don't think Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, uh, the empire built him. The empire built Patrick Bateman. So I was interested in not only the grandness of the empire, but also in what the empire allowed a certain fraction of people. And that's true for the shards as well. I think the shards, mm. there is a Patrick Bateman in the shards, and he is allowed to get away with things because he is one of, the empire allowed him to. And the character of Brett, or, or of you, uh, it, whichever way people wish to interpret it, some people have said that, you know, this is almost like a kind of a trauma narrative or an origin story for you, but I, I'm assuming you might reject that label. Well, you know, uh, I'm not sure if I agree with it, first of all. Um, I do think that the book traffics in something that one or two critics have called um, and been surprised by the new sincerity, the new sincerity mm. in Brady Sinellis. How could such a punk writer now enter this phase of his career where he seems so sincere and that he actually has a uh, an origin story that's whose seeds are based in a trauma that happened to him. Well, I don't know if I really look at the book that way, or if I really look at my life uh, that way. I do think that the novel really is about, if you want to call it a trauma, is that it does. It is about the movement from adolescence into adulthood, and what are the things that cause that? It's different for everybody. 
For me, it was this senior year that I described at my high school where I had to figure out how to use my quote unquote, you know, um, superpower. It's kind of the origin story in, 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 in any kind of Marvel or superhero movie. The hero has this power that he has to learn how to control, you know, or so mine was writing. And I was a fabulist, and I was an embellisher, and I was a liar as a teenager, and I was obsessed with narrative and telling stories and making things more entertaining and coloring things in with details that didn't exist. And that's just who I was at 17 and 18, and it got me into trouble. I lost friendships. Um, I was also, uh, I, I had a beautiful girlfriend, but I was gay. So I was, I was, I was kind of... Um, I was uh, living a uh, kind of a facade and it all came to a crashing halt. And that ultimately was uh, where the trauma, uh, you can locate the trauma. And that really is what I wanted to explore uh, in this book as well as of course, serial killers, which I also enjoy exploring. <laughs> also, the way that the book first came into public consciousness because you put it on on your podcast first, uh, which is and it's it's an odd thing. It kind of on the one hand, it's there's something quite old fashioned about it. It's like Victorian writers who would serially publish uh, chapters. Uh, when it came though to act physically publishing the book, did that make? I wouldn't imagine anyone was going to refuse one of your novels, but uh, you know, was your agent saying, "Oh, for God's sake, Brett, you've already put it out there already." Well, I think she said it a little bit more nastily than that. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> um, uh, you know, when I was in the middle of, well, I had started writing the novel in April of 2020 after thinking about it for 40 years. I wanted to write this novel when it was happening to me. I wanted to write about these events when they were happening to me in 1982. But the book came to me when it came to me, and it was 40 years later when I finally decided to write it and when it announced itself for me. And so when I was working on the book, I also have a, a, a podcast. I was on Patreon, the Brett Easton Ellis podcast. And we were in the middle of lockdown. We had no guests. There, was, there, there, there were no movies to go and see so that I could at least review them or whatever. So we were at an impasse, and I was sick of talking about the COVID and the coronavirus or whatever it was. And so I told my producer, I said, you know what, why don't we sit, why, I'm going to write this book. I'm, I'm 200 pages in and I'm going to finish it. So why don't we serialize it for a year? And that'll be the podcast. And he said, oh, really? You think people are going to listen to this and like it? What if it's no good? I said, well, we'll test it out. If it's no good, yeah, then we'll, we'll stop doing it. But it really, really took off. People really liked it. And so for a year, we serialized this quite long novel. It's about 600 pages. And um, and th that I thought that was it. Great. This is going to exist as an audible book. You can still purchase it for six dollars on my Patreon site. I will never take it down. It's 33 hours unedited. Uh, yes, as you said, my agent did get pissed. She didn't know I was doing this. And then she found out she hadn't heard the podcast and she got really angry. And uh, she said, let me read it. And so she read it, and then she said, God, Brett, you know, you write the best novel of your career, and I'm retiring in a year. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Mm -hmm. So then she went ahead to the publishing house. 
they wanted to publish it and uh, we did some editing on it, of course, and uh, then it came out. But I, I didn't take an advance. I, didn't, I, I haven't taken an advance from a publisher in 20 years. I just don't work that way. I write novels very sporadically. Sometimes they announce themselves and often I don't have one going. Yeah. Well, actually, on on that point, you you, you if you if there's anything you love more than music, it, it's cinema. But you seem to be implying in the early stages of the shards that you're finished with that now. Is that the case? That I am finished with writing books, or I'm finished with what in particular? Uh, finished with writing uh, for the screen. It's interesting because I think I'm going to be writing the shards for the screen. So I spoke too soon. <laughs> I spoke a little too soon because it looks like that's going to be my next project. Um, I um, and uh, I look. I, no one. I grew up in LA. No one wants to be a screenwriter. No one wants to be a screenwriter. You want to be a director. You want to film movies, and that's what I always aspired to. I never wanted to be a screenwriter. I wanted to direct the scripts that I've written. It's somehow. As it does in Hollywood, most of the time it just doesn't work out. And I had very particular scripts that either a, a star that was connected didn't want a first-time director, whatever the problems are. Uh, so it, it looks like the finances has come together for a script that I wrote that I am going to direct. And hopefully that will be happening this fall. Uh, that's something that I really want to do. I know no one's going to see it. I know it's going to go straight to streaming. But I want to have that experience of making the movie, regardless of how... Uh, uh, how it's received. That no longer matters. Well, we'll look forward to that. You can buy the shards or indeed still listen to it on Patreon. Brett Easton Ellis, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm. On News Talk.